Welcome. Thanks for tuning to Impact. Our mission is to love, learn, and serve. And now, here's the message. Well, this next day will mark the 47th anniversary of the U.S. Supreme Court's decision to legalize abortion in the United States. In its landmark Roe v. Wade decision on January 22, 1973, the Supreme Court came to the conclusion that the 14th Amendment allows a woman to terminate her pregnancy. The 14th Amendment to the Constitution was ratified just about three years after the Civil War, and the 14th Amendment's purpose was to protect individual citizens' rights and provide equal protection under the law. But evidently, the Supreme Court in 1973 didn't think that those equal rights apply to an unborn child. You fast forward 47 years since Roe v. Wade was passed, more than 63... And the 14th Amendment's purpose was to protect past more than 63 million. To, to wrap your mind around the size of that number, consider this. 63 million is the entire population of California plus the entire population of Oregon, plus the entire population of Washington, Arizona, and New Mexico. All five states together total approximately 63 million people. As a nation, we have forgotten how precious life is. And so today we're going to open God's Word together and see what God says about life, especially what God says about life Inside the womb, we're going to allow the pure truth of God's word to wash our brains because they've been desensitized to the tragedy of the ending of life around us. And so I encourage you to take those message notes uh, from the end of your aisle, pass those down to others in your row, if you would, please. Also, if you pull out your Bibles, we're going to be opening to Genesis chapter 1, verse 20. If you don't have a Bible with you today, I encourage you to bring it with you next time. In the meantime, though, you can grab a blue Bible from the rack in front of you. If you're using one of those blue Bibles, Genesis 1 is easy to find. It's on page 1. Okay, Genesis 1, starting in verse 20. Have those message notes and those Bibles in hand as we dive into God's Word together. As most of you probably know, Genesis chapter 1 records for us of the six days of creation, during which time God created everything in the universe. And for the sake of time, uh, we're going to fast forward to verse 20. By the time we get to verse 20, uh, the first four days of creation have already, have already taken place. So God has already created the sun, the moon, and the stars. He created planet Earth. He created the atmosphere. He separated the land masses from the oceans. Uh, by this time, He's already created all the plants on the land and all the trees. And we get to the start of day five, and this is what we read in Genesis 1, starting in verse 20. And God said, let the waters teem with living creatures, and let birds fly above the earth across the expanse of the sky. So God created the great creatures of the sea and every living and moving thing with which the water teems, according to their kinds. Every winged bird according to its kind. And God saw that it was, say it with me, good. God blessed them and said, be fruitful and increase in number and, and fill the water in the seas and let the birds increase on the earth. And there was evening and there was morning the fifth day. And God said, let the land produce living creatures according to their kinds, livestock, creatures that move along the ground and wild animals according to its kind. 
And it was so. God made the wild animals according to their kinds, the livestock according to their kinds, and all the creatures that move along the ground according to their kinds. And God saw that it was it was good. May God bless us as we study his word today. Would you bow your heads and pray with me, please? Father, we do love you. And we thank you for this opportunity to study your word. You are the creator of life. And our minds and hearts need to be awakened today to the way that you think about life. Help us to understand, Lord, what you had in mind when you created every living creature and especially when you created man and woman. Lord, awaken our minds to your creative genius and make it clear, O God, how you want us to think and how you want us to act when it comes to life. In Jesus' name. And all God's people said, Amen. So, as we're reading these verses here, verses 20 through 25, they describe creation days 5 and 6. And you probably noticed as we were reading those verses that there were a couple phrases that were repeated several times in those few verses. First of all, I want you to notice that that phrase, God saw that it was good, is repeated several times. Say that phrase with me. God saw that it was good. We see it in verse 21 after God created the birds and the fish. We see this phrase used again in verse 25. Uh, We see this word good used over and over. And interestingly, this word good is a translation from the original Hebrew word that was used here. It's the Hebrew word tob. And that word tob in Hebrew can be translated either as good or as beautiful. So when it says God saw that it was good, what it is saying is when God created the plants, he saw that the plants were good and beautiful. When God created the fruit trees, he saw that they were good and beautiful. When he created the fish and the birds, he saw that they were good and beautiful. When God created all the animals, even the duck-billed platypus, as weird as it looks, God saw that it was good and he saw that it was beautiful. Every living thing that God created is good and beautiful. Every plant, every tree, every bug, every fish, every bird, every reptile, every animal is good and beautiful. The second repeating phrase I want you to notice is this phrase, according to their kinds. We see it in verse 21 in reference to the birds and the fish. We see it twice in verse 24 in reference to various kinds of animals. The bottom line is God created all living things to reproduce according to their kinds, correct? Everything that God created reproduces according to its own species, You never find someone planting an apple seed and it produces carrots. You never see a duck laying a chicken egg, do you? You never have an elephant giving birth to an aardvark. It doesn't happen. Everything reproduces according to its own kind, according to its own species. And God makes that clear here in Genesis chapter 1. But God also makes it clear that he created man and woman as special. I want you to notice what he says starting in verse 26. In verse 26 it says, Then God said, Let us make man in our image, in our likeness, and let them rule over the fish of the sea and the birds of the air, over the livestock, over all the earth, and over all the creatures that move along the ground. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God he created him. Male and female, he created them. 
So God blessed them and said to them, Be fruitful and increase in number. Fill the earth and subdue it. Rule over the fish of the sea, the birds of the air, and over every living creature that moves on the ground. So did you catch the difference? You catch the difference in the wording there? On the third and on the fifth and on the six days of creation, God filled the earth with all sorts of species, thousands upon thousands of different species of land animals. God filled the airs with thousands of species of birds. He filled the oceans with thousands of species of fish and even mammals there that swam in the ocean waters. And every single one of these living things, without exception, reproduced according to their kinds. But at the end of day six of creation, God's creative genius kind of comes to a pinnacle. It comes to a climax. And God says, everything else, these millions of species, have all reproduced according to their kinds. Now I'm going to make a unique creation. It's going to reproduce according to my kind. Everything else was according to their kinds. God says, I'm going to create man and woman in my own image. They will reproduce according to my kind. It's as if God says this. I've created all these in their kinds. Now I'm going to create someone according to my kind. And so God proceeded to create Adam and Eve. Among all the millions of good and beautiful species of flowers and plants and birds and fish and animals on planet Earth, only human beings were created in the image of God. Amen? Only human beings. Of all these living things, only human beings are created in the image of God. Now, what does that mean? What does it mean to be created and made in the image of God? Well, for starters, it means that as God is the caretaker of the universe, we are caretakers of this earth. There's been a little slogan very popular in the last couple of years here in the high desert. It simply goes like this. Don't trash our desert. It's a campaign by all the chambers of commerce and businesses in our area because our heart kind of drops when we look out at our desert, and albeit it is very brown. But just because the desert's brown doesn't mean we need to be tossing our beer cans and our empty cigarette packs and our Del Taco trash out in the desert, right? And so one thing we do as a church, about every three months, we get out and clean up the desert across the street from this school. We've adopted these blocks around this school because we care about this desert. It's part of what God has given us to do, created in his image to help take care of this planet. And on top of that, we go to the second book of the second chapter of Genesis, and we learn some more things in Genesis chapter two about what it means to be created in the image of God. We discover in Genesis two that God created us as, as moral beings with the ability to choose right or wrong, good or evil. We learn in that same chapter that man alone is given the privilege of being in a relationship with God, which leads us to this important lesson. I'm going to call it lesson number one today. God creates all life on earth as good and beautiful, but he creates human life as sacred. He creates human life as sacred. Now, sacred is not a word we use every day, but it's a beautiful word that means connected to God, dedicated to a religious purpose, and so deserving veneration. So allow this truth from God's word to sink into your mind and heart today. Every human life is sacred. Could you say that with me? Every human life is sacred. Every human life is connected to God in a way that a dog or a cat or a dolphin could never be connected to God. Every human life is dedicated to a religious purpose, 
to not only take care of God's creation, but to worship Him in a way that a giraffe could never worship Him. In order to love and adore Him in a way that a rhino or a monkey or a cat could never worship Him. To serve Him and work with Him to expand His kingdom in a way that no other living thing on earth can do. Every human life is sacred. Say that with me one more time. Every human life is sacred. All life on earth is good. All life on earth is beautiful. But only human life was created by God as sacred. Therefore, all human life deserves to be respected and valued. All human life deserves to be respected and valued. Now, I want you to turn with me to our second passage today. It's an equally important passage. Psalm chapter 139. So, if uh, you're kind of new to the Bible, Psalms are right in the middle of the Bible. So flip to the middle and you'll probably be there. It's Psalm chapter 139. It's one of my favorite of the 150 Psalms we have in our Bible. Psalm 139. It's one of my favorites and it's one of my favorites in part because of these verses we're about to read together. Verses 13 through 18 in Psalm 139. Say amen if you're there. Here we go. Starting in verse 13. David, who wrote this psalm, writes, For you created my inmost being. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful. I know that full well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was made in the secret place, when I was woven together in the depths of the earth. Your eyes saw my unformed body. All the days ordained for me were written in your book before one of them came to be. How precious to me are your thoughts, O God. How vast is the sum of them. Were I to count them, they would outnumber the grains of sand. When I awake, I am still with you. Isn't that an amazing passage? Here in Psalm 139, King David reveals a a powerful, timeless truth that you and I really need to hear. Uh, You see, Genesis 1 makes it clear that all human life is good and beautiful and sacred. But Genesis 1 doesn't answer the when question. When is human life good and beautiful and sacred? But David here in Psalm 139 answers the when question. And the answer to the question of when life, human life, begins to be good and beautiful and sacred, the answer is in the mother's womb. In your mother's womb. This psalm writer is blown away by the thought of what God was doing even before David himself had seen the light of day for the first time. David marvels at the thought that before he had ever even knew he existed, uh, he was there in his mother's womb and God was knitting together his kidneys and his liver and his heart and his spleen. God was weaving that body of his together uh, before his parents had ever seen him with their eyes for the first time. And David is just blown away by how he is fearfully and wonderfully made right there in the womb. God made David's frame in that secret place of the womb that only God could see. God wove David's body together and God was able to see his body during every stage of his mom's pregnancy. What an amazing thing. Isn't God awesome? Isn't God awesome? Lesson number two. God creates human life in the womb. Therefore, the life of the unborn child is good and beautiful and sacred. See the connection between these two passages? Genesis 1, 
Human life is good, beautiful, and sacred. Psalm 139, among other passages, makes it clear that this goodness and this beauty and this sacredness begins even before you breathed your first breath here on earth after birth. What an amazing thing. Life in the womb is good and beautiful and sacred. Now remember that when we say that life is sacred, we're saying that Human life is connected to God. It's dedicated to a religious purpose and deserving veneration. So when the Word of God tells us that a life in the mother's womb is a human life, it is clearly indicating that the unborn child is connected to God. It's clearly saying that that unborn child is dedicated to a religious purpose. And it's clearly saying that that unborn child's life should be respected and valued. Well, when it comes to life... The life of the unborn child. There have been many lies that have circulated about the unborn child over the past 47 years since Roe versus Wade was passed. It's been very common for groups like Planned Parenthood and others that are strong advocates of abortion to say uh, that thing that's going on inside the mother's womb, it's just a clump of cells. It's just a clump of cells. Others have said, no, it's just a mass of tissue. We've been told that a fetus has human cells, but it itself is, is not really human. Well, I think a picture is worth a thousand words, don't you? So let me ask you, does this look like a clump of cells? That doesn't look like a, a clump of cells to me. Does this look like a massive tissue to you? It, it doesn't look like a massive tissue to me. Call me crazy, but I look at these photos here, and, and that looks like a baby to me. And you know why it looks like a baby to me? Because it is. A baby inside the womb. The only difference is size and level of development. It's a baby in the womb. There's no doubt about it. It's common sense. We look at these photos. It looks like a baby because it is. It is. Jeremiah 1.5 is another wonderful passage when it comes to the life of the unborn child. In Jeremiah 1.5, God says... To Jeremiah, before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. We've got it on the screen, so let's read this together. Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. Before you were born, I set you apart. I appointed you as a prophet to the nations. Isn't that beautiful? Especially those first two lines. Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. Before you were born, I set you apart. Imagine God speaking those words right now to you. Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. Before you took your first breath, before you were born, I set you apart. And so Jeremiah 1.5 reveals a third lesson to us. God has a purpose and a plan for our lives before we are even born. Doesn't that just blow your mind? God had a purpose and plan for you before you were even born. I know some of you deal with discouragement and depression on a regular basis. Some of you find yourself in your darkest moments wondering why you were even born. Some of you wonder why you're here. You have that passing thought, maybe it would just be better if you weren't here at all. Maybe you should just end it all. 
And in those moments when you're in the pit of depression and discouragement and Satan is whispering in your ear that your life has no meaning and your life has no purpose, remember Jeremiah 1.5 because God's not just speaking it to him, he's speaking it to you. He created you as good and beautiful and sacred. Your life is good and beautiful and sacred and he has placed you on this earth with a purpose and a plan that only God can do through you in the way that he could do it through you. Oh, God is so good. Well, sadly, abortion snuffs out the life of a baby that God is knitting together in a mother's womb. And abortion snuffs out human life in an incredibly cruel way. I'm going to ask one of our volunteers in back to go ahead and drop the lights because back in October of 2015, Dr. Anthony Livatino testified before a House of Representatives Judiciary Committee as they were debating a certain law regarding abortion. And Dr. Levitino appeared before the Judiciary Committee as an expert in obstetrics and abortion. And his testimony that I'm going to play for you right now, his testimony is hard to hear, but we need to hear it. First witness is Dr. Anthony Levitino. Dr. Levitino is a board-certified obstetrician-gynecologist. Over the course of his career, Dr. Levitino has practiced obstetrics and gynecology in both private and university settings, including as an associate professor of OBGYN at the Albany Medical College. And Dr. Levitino, we'll begin with you. Welcome. Thank you, Chairman and members of the committee. Um, I only have five minutes, so I'm going to get right to it. Second trimester D&E abortions perform between roughly 14 and 24 weeks of gestation. Your patient today is 17 years old. She's 22 weeks pregnant. Her baby is the length of your hand plus a couple of inches. And she's been feeling her baby kick for the last several weeks. But she's asleep on an operating room table. You walk into that operating room scrubbed and gowned, and after removing laminaria, you introduce a suction catheter into the uterus. This is a 14 French suction catheter. If she were 12 weeks pregnant or less, basically the width of your hand or smaller, you could basically do the entire procedure with this. But babies this big don't fit through catheters this size. After suctioning the amniotic fluid out from around the baby, you introduce an instrument called a sofa clamp. It's about 13 inches long. It's made of stainless steel. The business end of this clamp is about two and a half inches long and a half inch wide. There are rows of sharp teeth. This is a grasping instrument. When it gets a hold of something, it does not let go. A DNA procedure is a blind abortion, so picture yourself introducing this and grabbing anything you can blindly and pull, and I do mean hard, and out pops a leg about that big, which you put down on the table next to you. Reach in again, pull again, and pull out an arm about the same length, which you put down on the table next to you, and use this instrument again and again to tear out the spine, the intestines, the heart and lungs. Head in the baby that size is about the size of a large plum, can't see it, but you pretty good idea you've got it if you've got your instrument around something and your fingers are spread about as far as they go. You know you did it right if you crush down on the instrument and white material runs out of the cervix. That was the baby's brains. Then you could pull out skull pieces. And you have a day like I had a lot of times, sometimes a little face comes back and stares back at you. Congratulations. You just successfully performed a second trimester d abortion. You just affirmed her right to choose. Why did you end your practice of doing abortions? I did over 1,200 abortions over a four-year period in private practice, not counting the ones that I did during my training. Um, 
I met my wife at, um, during my first year of training at Albany Medical Center. We got married about a year later and found that we had an infertility problem. After years of failed infertility treatment and several years trying to adopt a child, we were blessed with adopting a, a little girl that we named Heather in August of 1978. Um, as sometimes happens in those situations, my wife got pregnant the very next month, and we had two children ten months apart. Um, Two months short of my daughter Heather's sixth birthday, she was killed in an auto accident and literally died in her arms in the back of an ambulance. Anyone who has children might think they have some idea of what that feels like, but unless you've been through it yourself, you have no idea whatsoever. Um, I know people find it hard to believe, but uh, what do you do after disaster? You bury your child and then you go back to your life. And I don't remember exactly how long it was after my daughter died that I showed up at Albany Medical Center OR number 9 to perform my first second trimester D&E abortion. I wasn't thinking of it as anything special. This was routine to me. Um, but I reached in, literally pulled out an arm or leg, and got sick. You know, earlier on I described stacking up body parts on the side of the table. It's not to, you know, gross people out, to use a simple term. When you do an, an abortion, you need to keep inventory. You have to make sure you get two arms and two legs and all the pieces. If you don't, your patient's going to come back infected, bleeding, or dead. Um, so I soldiered on and finished that abortion. And I know it sounds, as I said, hard for people to believe, but I'm, I'm telling you straight up my experience. You know, after over 1,200 abortions, first and second trimester up to 24 weeks and all the rest of it, and being very dedicated to it, for the first time in my life, I really looked. I really looked at that pile of body parts on the side of the table, and I didn't see her wonderful right to choose, and I didn't see all the money I just made. All I could see was somebody's son or daughter. And I stopped doing late-term abortions after that, and several months later stopped doing all abortions. Amen. I tear up every time I watch that, especially when they pan to the audience and that girl... Having heard that for the first time, can't believe her ears. Why on earth would I play that on a Sunday morning? Because we need to wake up to the reality of what goes on in our nation. We need to wake up. I want to share with you in closing three things that all of us need to know about the abortion industry in America. Number one, I need you to know about the body count. I mentioned earlier that since 1973, over 63 million babies have been aborted in the United States. Once again, that's more than the entire populations of California, Oregon, Washington, Arizona, and New Mexico combined. In the year that Roe v. Wade was passed in 1973, 744,810 abortions were performed in the United States. And I am very, very glad that I wasn't one of them. You see, it was passed on January 22nd, 1973. And it was about a month later that my mom got pregnant with me. And my mom had every right, every legal right, every opportunity to abort that pregnancy. And she chose to carry me to term. I don't know if you're grateful that my mom did that, but I am. Maybe you'd have a less, maybe a shorter-winded preacher up here if I wasn't here. 
But praise God, she gave me a chance to live. And I know that your mom made that same decision for you. What a blessing it is to know that our moms chose life. Try to wrap your mind around this. According to the World Health Organization, there are between 40 and 50 million abortions performed every year across the world. 40 to 50 million abortions every year. That's an average of 125,000 abortions every single day of the year. What a travesty. There is some good news in the United States. Our abortions have been slowly on the decline since 1990 when they peaked at about 1.5 million abortions a year in the United States. It's been tapering off slightly. There are a bit over 800,000 this past year. But as I mentioned earlier, Planned Parenthood's numbers are climbing. They had 350,000 of those 800,000, just them, this past year. So 800,000 is better than what it used to be, but there's a long way to go. That's still 800,000 too many. I also want you to know, and this one is particularly new information for a lot of Christians, I want you to know about the racism of the abortion industry. You may not know this, but abortion is not an equal opportunity killer. Did you know that 80% of abortion clinics in America are located in minority neighborhoods? It's true. Primarily in black and Hispanic neighborhoods. If you do a Google search and you type in leading cause of death among African Americans, here's what you'll find. The fifth leading cause of death of African Americans in America is diabetes. Fourth is strokes. Third is Accidental deaths like car accidents, the second leading cause of death among African Americans in our nation is cancer. And the number one cause of death in America among blacks is heart disease. But there is an elephant in the room. There's an elephant in the research room when it comes to these top five killers of African Americans. They do not include abortion in their studies. According to the Center for Disease Control, black children are almost four times more likely to be aborted than white children. For every 1,000 live black births, there are 390 black abortions. And in some lower-income neighborhoods, the number of black abortions actually outnumbers the number of black live births. It's a tragedy. The number of Hispanic abortions is more than double that of white abortions in this nation. If you look at these numbers, more African American lives are lost to abortion each year in the U.S. than every other single cause of death combined. Every single one. I think Pastor John Piper said it well. He said the net effect of putting abortion clinics in the urban centers is that the abortion of Hispanic and black babies is more than double their percentage of the population. Call this what you will. When the slaughter has an ethnic face and the percentages are double that of the white community and the killers are almost always white, something is going on here that ought to make the lovers of racial equality and racial harmony wake up. Tomorrow we celebrate Martin Luther King Jr.'s birthday. And I hope and I pray that those that fight for racial equality in our country will wake up 
I hope that Jesse Jackson and Al Sharpton wake up. I hope that the NAACP wakes up. And I hope most of all that the church of Jesus Christ in America wakes up. Because this is a tragedy in our nation that God has called us to do something about and no longer sit on our hands. This last year, President Trump gave his State of the Union speech. Many people tune out because their blood starts to boil whenever they hear President Trump speak. We're not getting into politics here. I just want to speak fact to you about this issue related to life. In that speech that he gave about a year ago at the State of the Union, at one point he said, I am going to petition Congress to outlaw across our land late-term abortions. Half of the room stood up in applause. But almost every single Democrat in that room sat on their hands and scowled at the notion of limiting late-term abortion. What a travesty. There's no excuse. There's no excuse. Third, I want you to know about the future of the abortion industry. There is some good news. Our president has appointed two pro-life justices to the Supreme Court. And many millions of Christians are hoping that one of these lower cases will make its way to the Supreme Court and they can once again weigh in on Roe versus Wade. That would be an amazing thing. Because we now finally, for the first time in years, have a truly pro-life leaning Supreme Court. Oh, go ahead. Over the past few years, six states have passed heartbeat laws that outlaw abortions after six to eight weeks gestation when a doctor can hear the baby's heartbeat. This is common sense. If a doctor can hear the heartbeat, you don't abort. But common sense isn't so common these days in our nation, is it? Alabama has gone a step further to outlaw almost all abortions. That's caught up in litigation, but at least they passed the law and they're trying. There are also bills that are being written in Congress to help limit abortions across all 50 states, including the Born Alive Abortion Survivors Protection Act. What lunacy. We've come to a place where we need to pass a law saying, if a doctor has a botched abortion and that baby is born alive, you can't kill the newborn baby. We actually have have to pass a law to make sure everybody knows this. Well, we need to support it. Because once again, common sense isn't so common in Washington these days. Basic decency is not so basic for many of our leaders in Washington. The future of the abortion industry in America is largely up to you and me. If you believe God's Word to be true, if you believe that all human life is good and beautiful and sacred, you need to stand up and you need to speak up for life, especially when it's time to vote. If you have a conscience issue with abortion, then stop voting for those that support it. I've got to be honest with you. I do not support political candidates as the pastor of this church. Our church does not endorse political candidates or even political parties. Well, I have a very hard time checking the box for any Democrat these days because they're few and far between those that stand for life. Few and far between. The Democratic Party does some wonderful things in our nation, but they are dead wrong when it comes to the unborn child. 
Whether we're talking about an unborn child or a toddler or a teenager or a homeless man at the off-ramp or a senior on dialysis, all human life is good and beautiful and sacred. And God has called you and me as His sons and daughters to be caretakers of His most precious creation. We are His ambassadors commissioned by God to stand up for and proclaim and defend the sanctity of human life. Young and old, born and unborn, male and female, black and white, rich and poor, independent and dependent, healthy and sick. All human life is fearfully and wonderfully made by our amazing Creator. And we need to do our part to speak this truth to anyone who will listen. Maybe God is calling some of you to begin helping out at the Crisis Pregnancy Center. Maybe God is calling others of you to help out at the dialysis clinic for some of our senior citizens that our nation is pushing aside and saying, you're too old and you're too decrepit to be of use to our society anymore. Because as abortion grows, so does euthanasia. It just doesn't happen on one end of the spectrum. So maybe God is calling you to volunteer at a dialysis center or a senior center. Maybe God is calling you to volunteer at the hospital. Maybe He's calling you to help those with special needs and disabilities because those that are disenfranchised, those that are poor, those that are hurting, those that an elitist type society might look at and say you are not worthwhile to our society, those are the ones especially we need to stand for because they cannot stand up and speak for themselves. The church of Jesus Christ is being called by Jesus Christ to take a stand for life, to take a stand for life in all of its forms from the very point of conception to the point we draw our last breath and God calls us home to heaven. We stand for life. We fight for life because all life is created by God. We come to you, Lord Jesus. We pray for mercy on our nation. We pray for your forgiveness and your grace. We have failed you, O God, by not standing for life as you called us to. Lord, I'm so thankful that the younger generations, the millennials and our current kids and teenagers that are part of Generation Z, studies are indicating that they're more pro-life than their parents and grandparents were. That's an answer to prayer. And Lord, I pray that you would inspire this younger generation to take a stand for life. Lord, later this week, thousands upon thousands will gather in Washington, D.C. for the March for Life. I pray that you'd keep them safe as they travel to our nation's capital. And as they take a stand and as they pray for the life of babies around this nation and around this world. Lord, bless their efforts. And I pray that the media would televise it. I pray that the word would be spread. Have mercy, O God, on our nation. Have mercy, O God. Give us boldness and courage to stand for life in all of its different forms. From the point of conception to the final breath. May we stand for life. And thank you, Lord, that our parents stood for life and allowed us a chance to live. I thank you for my mom and that decision she made 47 years ago to take me to term. I pray for the little babies that are in wombs right now in this room. I pray for Kaylee's little one. I pray for Amber's little one. Anyone else, Lord, that I may not know about that's expecting right now, we pray for those little babies. 
that you'd keep them healthy and strong, continue knitting them together until that perfect moment when you call them forth out of their mother's womb to breathe their first breath. Bless these little ones and bless their moms and their dads. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for watching. Please share this video with friends and family. We hope you'll be blessed by this sermon from Impact Christian Church. Please visit our website at greaterimpact.cc. God bless.